Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 28 of Three Course Politics Podcast. I'm Hills. And I'm Josh. And we have a great pod for you today. We I'm excited to be back in the pod studio, which is my kitchen table because it's uh we don't have a studio but we have a really really good episode for you today your appetizer is we're going to talk about how biden can lose you know we always talk about what's going on with him but we're going to talk about what would happen if he loses the entree is going to be about flip side what biden needs to do to win and we've been talking about this over quite a few episodes i believe it was episode three or four we started talking about this and we're just going to compile it all in one place your life under lockdown is going to be about the Olympics or <laughs> the Olympics that never was. And your dessert is going to be a really good dessert because we have some really big political forecasters have a ton of ratings changes. So and they all benefit mostly Democrats. And uh, we're going to go we're going to talk through what that means. Josh, would you have anything, uh, anything you want to add to what listeners are going to be hearing today? Yeah, we are exactly 100 days from the 2020 election. So uh, I know it seems like it's been going on for forever, but we now have exactly 100 days. So as we start to get closer, we, uh, we'll start to look at, you know, particular Senate matchups, particular um, presidential matchups, certain states. And so really uh, the action is just getting started here. During this pandemic and everything else, uh, the politics still goes on and the election still goes on and we are just ramping up here. I actually can't believe it's it's 100 days. It just feels, it doesn't feel like it, you know, I guess because like there are no rallies or, or anything else. So it feels, it just feels like it's coming, but it's like months away still. Yep. I know. It's crazy. Maybe by, <laughs> maybe by day 30, it'll feel like a real election. and last thing before we start have you subscribed to the podcast please do so now if you're a first-time listener and you haven't subscribed why don't you hit subscribe and if you don't like this episode or later episodes you can always unsubscribe Um, it'll help get you the episodes quicker all you have to do is go to our podcast wherever you're listening and click subscribe and if you want to go one step further rate us and be honest it will help spread the word about three course politics with that josh uh, are you ready for the pre-dinner shot? I am ready for the pre-dinner shot. Okay, here it comes. Coming to you right now. So here is your pre-dinner shot question. Based on recent polling, which two groups of voters have currently the biggest swing from Trump in 2016 to Biden in 2020? So once again, this is based on the most recent polling as of July 26th, which two groups of voters have currently the biggest swing from Trump in 2016 to Biden in 2020? Hill's thoughts on the question. Well, this is a good question because not only do you need to know the polling, you need to look at the analysis. I mean, you can look at the subtabs of the polling yourself, but you actually need to read the analysis of these polls and uh, be well read on it. So if you have, this is a very easy question. If you've done the homework, this is easy. But if you haven't... Hills, is it fair to say that the answer is the boat rallies? <laughs> the boat rallies have gone from full MAGA to full riding with Biden. They're boating with Biden, I think. Perfect. Well, uh, that is your pre-dinner shot. We will reveal the answer at the end of the podcast. And you have an appetizer about how Biden could lose... Come up next. So welcome to your appetizer. Your appetizer might be a bit of a downer because we're going to talk about the ways that Biden could lose, um, which is very, very, very sad and depressing. And we don't want Biden to lose, but we have to look at the possibility that he might. And we have to look at what that looks like. Okay. So. We are going to identify three different ways that Biden could lose. Two of those things are on him, but one of them is uh, not really in his control. It's kind of on us and on Trump. So before we do that, um, Hills, I don't know if you know this, but Biden is actually doing very, very well currently. Did you know that? No, I had no idea. I thought he was down and Trump was going to win. No, that is not the case. Biden is actually doing very, very well right now. According to the five top leading 
election analysts. Uh, Biden has a very good chance of winning. The Economist gives Biden a 92% chance of winning the Electoral College. JHK Forecast gives Biden an 87.1% chance of winning the Electoral College. 270 to win gives Biden 278 electoral votes, and 90 more are up for grabs, so he's already won, according to 270. Cook Political Report has Biden currently with 308 electoral votes, and there are 43 more that are up for grabs. And Larry Sabato has Biden with 268 electoral votes. So he just, he just needs two more. And there are 66 uh, votes that are up for grabs. So, Hills, your initial thoughts on the analyst uh, having Biden doing very well currently? Well, I mean, this is where <laughs> I'd rather him <laughs> be doing well right now. This is kind of where you want to be. And and I know, here's the thing. I just, I know these polls will tighten up no matter what it is. I, I just I know they will tighten up, but it's really, this is the position you want to be in as a candidate. You don't want to be in the 8%. You don't want to be Biden and have an 8% chance of winning right now. It's just, you never want to be that person. Even if it's, you're thinking about turnout and enthusiasm, you always want to probably be the guy on top. 100%. And so there are a couple of ways, though, that we have to talk about how Biden could lose. The first one, I think, is his vice presidential pick. Now, Normally, I don't think that a vice presidential pick um, can has has but so much sway. Uh, however, as we learned in 2016, nothing is as it seems. Biden has the impossible task of choosing a vice presidential candidate that is going to, one, excite the base. So he needs to excite young voters. Particularly, he needs to ex- excite African-American voters. Women, suburban moms, people who have been the base in 2018 and continue to be the base of the party. But along with them, he also has to excite the Bernie bros. He has to excite people who are super progressive. Because uh, we know that we can't count on Bernie to get out there and campaign for him, despite what Bernie has said all throughout the primary. But he also doesn't want to piss off the moderate uh, Democratic voters. or And even people who are Republicans, who are sick of Trump, and who are going with Biden. So that's very, very hard. And so we're, we've talked at length about who uh, Biden uh, might pick, who his top choices are. Hills and I don't know who the vice presidential candidate is going to be, but we have three people that we've identified as people who he should not pick. So Hills, I'm going to talk about each one, and then you can give me uh, your feedback. So Sounds good. The first one is Susan Rice. Biden should not pick Susan Rice. This is, It's too much Obama-related drama uh, that the right can dig up. She's also not going to excite anyone in the base. She's not progressive enough to think the Bernie bros. It's a very safe pick, just like Tim Kaine was in 2016. And honestly, it's just going to give the right so much ammunition for them to use in running attack ads. So you all remember with Susan Rice, all the Benghazi stuff. I mean, Biden just doesn't need to relitigate that fight with the Republicans and with Trump. There are better candidates out there. I think the three-course politics is very much no rice. No onions, no rice, Hills. No onions, no rice. <laughs> no onions, no rice. Uh, Josh, I think you're, you're exactly right with everything you've said. And to put an additional point on this, everything you've said is 100% accurate. And in my opinion, Susan Rice, I mean, she could be super smart, ready for the job on day one. But And also, she's a black woman. But she's not a politician. She's The vice president is inherently a politician at the end of the day, as well, you have to know how to navigate that. And just like Tim Kaine, I personally love Tim Kaine, but he didn't serve the ticket well in the fact that he didn't bring in he didn't bring in other groups of voters that he that another pick could have. Right. And I don't think Susan Rice accomplishes that either. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Uh, so let's move on now to the second pick that Biden should not pick. Biden should not pick Tammy Baldwin. Tammy Baldwin is a great senator from the state of Wisconsin. However, she, once again, is too safe. Uh, She is not going to excite the Bernie bros. She's not going to excite the base. And I think, importantly, she's not a woman of color. I think with all this going on right now, with the race relations being the way they are, I think Biden feeling doesn't have to, but he would be doing himself a disservice if he didn't pick uh, a woman of color. Um... Kenny Baldwin is a very strong senator, and if she were picked and they were to win, uh, we have a Democratic governor 
who could appoint a new senator, but I worry about when Kenny Baldwin's seat is up, the possibility of, I think she, her seat might be up next, in the next cycle. So I worry about her a little bit in the sense of like, if they pick, if the Republicans pick a very strong candidate in Wisconsin, then that's a seat that we're just kind of giving up. I don't think Tammy Baldwin is, is a good choice. Again, I love Tammy Baldwin. I think she's very, very smart. She's a great senator. I just don't think she's the right pick for Biden. Yeah, and, and I know in her last election, she ran way ahead of Trump numbers. I mean, she flipped tons of places in Wisconsin. Like, Wisconsinites love Tammy Baldwin. But the thing is, if you ask someone in, in Washington State, Florida, I mean, they have time or Texas who Tammy Baldwin is. The average person yeah. has no clue. We know her because we love reading and talking about this. But yeah, she's she is not she's not going to be the progressive savior that I think that Biden could choose that, you know, he he would like in a vice presidential candidate. So I totally agree. And then the last person, this might be a little controversial, but the last person that he should not pick is Elizabeth Warren. I, th- I again, I love Elizabeth Warren. Um, I just don't think she's the right pick for Biden. She's not a, a woman of color. Uh, she brings on attacks like uh, Pocahontas. She brings on attacks of socialism by moderates. She could be seen as too wild and could ward off the base, could ward off moderates. You open yourself up to so many attacks from Trump, and then the campaign doesn't become about issues. It becomes about socialism. It becomes about, you know, oh, Warren's going to do this, and that time that she said she was 116th uh, Native American. It just there's too many unnecessary attacks that Biden could make. Oh, sorry, that Trump could make on Biden and on the Warren ticket. I think she's wonderful. I think if Biden wins, she should be somewhere in the administration because she's incredibly smart. I just don't think vice president is the way to go for her. Yeah, I think you raise a very important point that the narrative will change, right? It won't be about Biden anymore. It'll be all about Warren all the time. And it'll drown out Biden, which is not what you want your VP to do. And I think even more importantly, when Warren was running, she wasn't running against Trump, but she didn't she didn't help any of these narratives that are still against her on the right. So she didn't even she didn't have to defeat these talking points. So they're still going to come back now. And this is not the time to relitigate talking points about who you are. The vice president right. is there to support the president. So yeah. And one one other point about Warren is. Trump basically has three attacks on Biden. One is he's weak on China. Two is that he's not cognitively there. And three is that he's going to be taken over by the radical left, right? If he chooses Warren, then that radical left argument just becomes so much increased on uh, the right because none none of the arguments are, are sticking with Trump right now. So Biden choosing Warren could really... Uh, ignite the right because they're saying to him like, "Oh, look, Trump told you he's going to be taken by the radical left, and look who his vice presidential candidate is." It just, it, it, it's not necessary, and Biden doesn't need to do something that drastic right now. Yeah, I love Warren, and I want her to be president, but I don't think she's the right VP for this moment either. No, so that's number one. Number two, uh, losing the Latino and the African American vote. So Biden is not going to lose these. At the end of the day, in 2020, uh, Biden is going to win the African-American vote. He's going to win the Latino vote. But the margins matter so much. In 2016, Clinton won black voters 91 to 6 and won Latino voters 66 to 28. Okay, Biden needs those margins, but he needs them even bigger. He needs those margins even bigger. Trump is going to turn out his white base. And even though the margins might be smaller because Biden appeals to some people, uh, we he cannot cede ground on those voters. Uh, especially Biden, you know, he's in the position that he's in, there are some worrying signs. Biden is having trouble with the Latino vote. Uh, and who knows what Kanye West is going to do, but could that take away some of the African-American vote? I mean, it's entirely possible. Uh, Biden needs to roll out a message that speaks to voters of, of color of what he's going to do for them, how he's going to improve their lives, and what Trump has done for them. Right? Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what Trump has done. And you'll see the difference in our, our records. Um, a vice presidential pick here could be really crucial. That's why someone like a Kamala Harris or um, the 
the governor from uh, Nevada, New Mexico, of Grisham. I think it's her name, Michelle Grisham. Yep. Um, she could she could also be huge, but someone right to help shore up that uh, voting uh, block because Biden cannot afford to lose those margins. And in the latest one, he was doing fine with African American voters. Uh, but the Latino vote was very, very close. Trump and it made up huge margins on the Latino vote in the latest poll that I saw. Biden was only up by like maybe 10 points. It was very, very close. So Biden cannot afford to lose those voters. Yeah, and we're, we're going to also talk more about this in the next section, but I think you hit the, the nail right on the head. He's It's about turnout, right? And these these groups need to get back to the level of supports that they supported Hillary in in 2016. And thankfully, there's 100 days to help fix this, right? So, right. But you're exactly right. These groups on the margins will make will make these close races and have Biden lose. And the third thing is voter suppression. This is always the case with with Democrats. If Democrats don't vote, then our chances of taking over the House or well Senate really and, and the White and the White House go way, way down. Trump wants to suppress the vote. That's his only real path to victory is by suppressing the vote. He wants to make mail in voting hard. He wants to close down polling places. He wants long lines. He wants to reduce uh, the right to vote amongst felons. COVID-19 is still out there and people may not be you know, willing to risk their lives to go and vote. You have GOP governors in big states that are not guaranteeing mail-in uh, ballots, mail-in voting. So Biden can't, he can only do but so much here, right? He has to push out voting plans to people, tell people. Hey, here are the facts about you voting. Here's where you can vote. Here's what you need to vote. Bring a friend. Uh, you know, all these things that, 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 that we normally do, Biden has to do it, and then, and then some more. Also, he has to push registration. You have to register, register, register. You can't be out there holding rallies. The one thing that you can do is get people to call, send out text messages, you know, phone banks, just get people to register to vote. Make sure people know that about making sure that they're registered to vote. And one of the things else is if Biden wins on day one, he should pass a voting rights act. He should pass something that, that, that makes uh, the election day a national holiday mm-hmm. that restores voting rights to felons. Maybe we have like a national registration day every day in summer, you know, July 1st is national registration day. Everyone who, who's 18 gets something in the ballot saying, hey, here's how you register to vote. Biden should do that day one because I'm sick and tired of the Republicans playing politics with democracy and with them playing politics of voting and making it harder to vote. If we're the greatest democracy in the world, we should be able to make voting so easy. And Biden should do it day one, end of rant. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, I, I love listening to that. I was mesmerized by it because you're, you're exactly right. I mean, like, we should have automatic voter registration or something like that or something that, that makes it easier for people to vote because you're right because Trump and the Republican folks on the other side are going to try every trick in the book in especially all of these, these six or seven battleground states. And they're going to try and disenfranchise as many people as possible, especially people of color because, you know, that's the way they like to do it. And it boggles, and I know we've talked about this, but it boggles my mind every day, you know, when the voter deadlines are coming up in like September or October, and then everyone's like, you got to register to vote now. It's like, why weren't you doing this throughout the entire year, you know, the past three years? And I know we have been, but like, I feel like we could have even done a better job of doing voter registration efforts. But I think we've done a pretty good job, but still register all the time, anytime, all the time for everything. So... There you have it, folks. Those are the ways that Biden could lose. Uh, Hills is going to move on to a much more positive topic about how Biden could win in your entree coming up next. In your appetizer today, we took you through what ways Biden can lose. However, for your entree, we're going to talk about what Biden needs to do to win, how Biden could win. And, you know, we're 100 days out to the 2020 election and we'll go over areas he needs to focus on and the messaging that we know will be beneficial as the general election season begins. 
Number one, number one on what he needs to do to win is focus on key demographics. So 1A, the first thing he needs to do under demographics, as Josh mentioned in the last section, and uh, we're going to talk about it here, black, Hispanic, and progressive voters. So the election is more about turnout. Of course, you need to attract voters. You need to attract as many voters as you can. But then they actually need to go and show up and vote. And the most votes win. That's that's how it works, right? So enthusiasm helps plays a part, but also getting your people out to vote and getting a big coalition. So Biden has a lagging performance in key areas. He's down 10 with black voters from where HRC, Hillary Clinton, was, uh, which is not a big deal, something he can fix. It's, it might be usual fluctuation. He's down 30 with Hispanics from his uh, HRC, which is what Josh was talking about last section, which is a real concern. And he has an enthusiasm gap with younger progressive voters. And we're gonna, I'm going to link in, of course, all the things we talk about, we can, we're going to link into the show notes. So if you want to read more about it from the sources we see, you can go to the show notes. He's winning more a share of the white vote, which is really crucial to offset some of the defections among these demographics, like the 30 in Hispanic and the 10 in the black vote. It's almost being covered by his his better performance with white voters. So it's he's up, sure, but he can even be up more if he gets those voters back. And he needs a robust strategy to to attract black and Hispanic voters, as Josh was mentioning before. And I'm going to repeat a lot of the things Josh just mentioned to really hammer it home. Produce policy platforms that cater to these communities and have them know what it is. I mean, you can produce, you can make a speech, right? <laughs> but then to have a, someone be like, oh yeah, I remember and I heard that speech. I know what he stands for is a whole nother thing. You need extensive field outreach to these communities from trusted sources. It could be community leaders. It could be top surrogates, surrogates of people who, you know, if you have a big actor who's going around the country with Joe Biden, that's, that's they're called a surrogate. They help, they help the candidate win. And of course, doing campaigning in these areas. So it shows that Biden actually wants to do, actually wants these votes. And campaigning in, in the coronavirus age can take a lot of different ways uh, to show up, but that's what he needs to do to shore up these these voters, black voters and Hispanic voters and progressive voters too. Josh, you have any thoughts on that? I mean, demographics is so important for the Biden campaign. Um, you know, down 10 with black voters, down 30 with Hispanic voters. It's not great. I really think the thing about having surrogates with him is huge. I really think, you know, as much as he can, even through social distancing, uh, he had a big talk with Obama uh, a couple days ago. Um, I want to see more of that. I want to see him, you know, talk with uh, with Bernie, you know, like, like have a good sit down with, with Bernie through social distancing. Different leaders who can help shore up those numbers and the way that he's doing He's doing well as with white voters, and that 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 that's great. You know, it's it's excellent that people are coming around to uh, to Biden who were with Trump previously. But as I stated before, he needs those numbers. He needs the African American vote. He needs the the Hispanic vote. I mean, being down thirty with Hispanics is a huge worry sign for the Biden campaign. So we have the solution. We know what we need to do. Uh, Biden just has to put in the work. Josh, are you sure you don't work for the Biden campaign? Because these are good good ideas. Are you sure? Uh, Hills, I was going to work for the Biden campaign, and then I was like, you guys are down 30 with with, with, with Hispanics? No way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. I mean, I don't know. Do a conversation with Bernie. Do a conversation with Beyonce and Jay-Z. I don't know. Whatever. Beyonce would be a big one. I mean, yeah. pretty pretty good. But but there are ways to do this, and he's got to do this outreach because this is the way he's going to win. Under Still under demographics, we got swing states. Obviously, the Biden team recently laid out a six-state strategy. Keep all the Hillary Clinton states and win Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Florida, Arizona, and North Carolina, the ones we've been talking about. These are the right states to spend money and focus on because they will decide 2020. Biden should make sure to keep spending focused on these six because, and maybe maybe Georgia, because Georgia has two Senate races and it's, it could be a really big, uh, big win. But it's very easy to get expansive around the map. Hillary Clinton did it and didn't focus on the state she needed to win. These are Those are the six key states Biden needs to win, or at least three of them, essentially, to win the presidency. Texas, Iowa, and Ohio are tempting. 
but polling will tighten up. It will tighten up. It'll be easy to get overdrawn when this when the time is tough. So what we need to do to win is target those six states, keep a focus on them, build organizations out on them, put you know, put in the resources on them, and maybe Georgia. And that's what Biden needs to do to win. And he's doing it currently, but he should not get off track. Yeah. Also important to know that in Arizona and in uh, North Carolina, there are two huge Senate races. So the more you can focus on on the Senate races in uh, Arizona and North Carolina, the more you can help out in those areas. It also helps out the, the top, the bottom of the ticket. We have a governor's race in North Carolina. Like Biden should focus on these uh, six states. And Georgia is very tempting, as you mentioned. Uh, with Texas, Iowa, and, and Ohio, it, it is going to be tempting to um, to go to those uh, states, especially if Trump has to play a, a little defense right uh, right now. But um, I agree. Focus on those six states. If you have a bunch of extra money or you have um, particular surrogates like Beto O'Rourke or someone, you know, let, let them do the work. But Biden should not be focusing on those states. Yeah, yeah, you know I'm the biggest champion of Iowa on this podcast. I am high on Iowa, but I agree that right now, you know, you know what? Iowa doesn't need as much money as Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan do. Sorry. If you're in a campaign, that's you you need those three states to win. So, that's uh the name of the game. Yep. Number 2, number 2, policy. Biden has a Biden has had a slow start to policy development. He definitely has, and it's concerned Josh and I. But it's in full swing now. He's got his economic recovery message. He's got his climate plan. He's got he's rolling out a child care initiative. So he's making these big, bold policy announcements and really defining what his campaign is going to do if he wins, which is exactly what you need to do. He needs to continue making big, bold announcements. He needs to choose a few signature policies that the public will know him for and repeat. Just repeat, repeat. Repeat, go tell voters what he's going to do and how his policies will help their lives. This will help secure more of his troubled demographics because he's got good policy that will help them and increase his enthusiasm gap because he definitely does have an enthusiasm gap right now and will help turn out. Give people a reason to vote for you, expose your opponent's bad ideas, and hammer home a very consistent message of why your policy is better than your opponent's. This is politics 101 that all the Democrats and Hillary Clinton missed in 2016. It's really not that hard. You put policy out, you tell, you detail why your child care plan will help the average American. You say that Trump has done nothing for you and nothing for this. And you say that he doesn't care. And you say that you vote for me, I'm going to make your life better. Bada bing, bada boom. We're done. Yeah. Hills, do you work for the Biden campaign? <laughs> I work as for the Biden campaign as a volunteer that no one listens to so uh absolutely i think everything you said is just so so important look it's it's 2020 now trump has something to run on he has to run on his record so if you're biden there's no reason that you shouldn't be rolling out all these different policy uh, initiatives uh and bernie has said if he implements all the stuff that we're talking about he'd be the most progressive candidate since fdr so Roll them out there. Tell people how you're gonna pay for them. He just uh, rolled out uh, a child care and, and elderly plan that you talked about, uh, and he and how's he gonna pay for it? He's gonna make people who are uh, in real estate they're gonna have to pay more taxes and also more taxes on, on corporations. And what is that gonna do? It's gonna provide universal pre-K uh, for kids who are age three and four. Right? That's I mean, that, 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 that's huge. It's going to invest money into seniors. And you take that message and say, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm paying for it. Trump has done none of this. Trump does, does, has done nothing to help with universal pre-K. He's done nothing to help with the elderly um, in, in uh, assisted living facilities. Here's my, my, my plan. It's basic politics, and Biden should get back to it. I mean, Trump went on Hannity a few weeks ago, and Hannity was like, what should voters look for in uh, 2020? If you win re-election, what, what are you doing in your second term? And he talked about... Trump didn't say he talked about himself and how he was treated so unfairly. He literally it was like a softball question. It was like, OK, what are you going to do for everyone in your second term? And he doesn't have an answer. He actually doesn't have policy for a second term. So this is a great time for Biden to contrast and say, 
I have all these policies that are going to help you. Trump has done nothing and will do nothing. So, yep. Oh, but that brings us into our third thing, which is messaging. So, number three, messaging. Biden has laid relatively low and let Trump damage himself with his COVID response. He gave a few speeches, but if I'm being honest, I've watched the speeches, but I don't think the general public has heard them at all. I don't think people generally hear and listen to the speeches during the day. I just don't think they do. Biden should continue to project the, quote, I got this aura and also define Trump right now. Many in this country still believe Trump is working for them. And just recently, he's, you know, trusted him more than Biden on economic issues and China. So we said this in episode three or four, three course politics, but Biden should continue the narrative that the Lincoln Project is actually taking on right now. Expose Trump as a con man whose achievements have only helped the rich. Hammer this message home while promoting your own ideas. Plant the seed of doubt among, you know, 10% of the Trump supporters and have them stay home or flip to your side. This is a really easy one. There's a really good narrative here about Trump only doing certain things for the rich people in the country, him actually not helping your lives, and that his policies have actually hurt the American people and, and communities in these states. You know, this this narrative will help turn out and on the Dem side and by intensifying hate on the, you know, to Donald Trump and making talking points that are really easy for the public to repeat. As we've seen, Donald Trump's only good thing he did in 2016 was making message as simple and stupid for voters so they can repeat it in mass. Because honestly, Americans don't care. They hear one thing and it's got to be super simple. So we've seen a massive swing of suburban voters towards Biden contributing really to his massive polling advantage recently also shielding his weaknesses as we said before and they're also you know the suburban voter is generally white but that's where a lot of elections are decided when you have close races and this messaging will help increase his suburban his suburban support and also define this narrative against donald trump that really hasn't been able to take hold yet so josh what do you think about that uh i think that is completely spot on you know there is a big swing currently amongst suburban voters as you mentioned hills towards the democratic party and and these are voters who are coming around to the biden and the democratic party because they are realizing oh i might be white but what's happening with black lives matter really bothers me what's happening at certain parts of the country with corruption really bothers me and if Biden can hammer home that Trump is corrupt, he only cares about his rich friends uh, message, and that's only going to do great things for uh, his campaign for the Democratic Party. It will definitely help boost turnout. It will definitely help down ballot races because you, you, you can then connect people down the ticket like House members, Senate members to Trump. And how has Susan Collins, how has Tom Tillis, how have they aided Trump in his corruption? It's a message that is simple that the Lincoln Project has made for the Biden campaign, and all they have to do is pick it up and use it. Yeah, I mean, and Susan Collins and and all these senators have never really gotten this type of pressure before, right? They've been able to really been like, oh, he's not bad, you know, he's he's fine, right? They never really held their feet to the fire on this. And but if you have a a message coming from Biden himself on this, it's going to put a lot of pressure on, and it's going to really shape the media narrative too. So. Biden campaign. You can use these if you want. You can just have to. You have to promote three course politics, if <laughs> yeah. If you use yeah, and and maybe cut us a, a check for a small just small a fee. just a small one. Yeah, yeah. We don't. We we're not a lot. We're trying to help, but we also you know, if you want to use our stuff, you got to pay us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're almost we're we're almost done with this. Number four, vice president. Josh covered it really beautifully in the last section, but Josh and I have debated. Who Biden should choose recently? I think you know, obviously, someone who can play ball with Pence and and also excite the Democratic base. Josh, I know you think it's someone who needs to do that, but also be someone who has experience. Biden has said he wants someone who can he can get along with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Biden has said multiple times that he wants somebody to take the position who has the experience, who can do it on day one, which unfortunately would eliminate such great candidates such as Stacey Abrams who doesn't have it, probably uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms from the uh, mayor of uh, Atlanta, also probably is going 
be off the list because they are not ready on day one. And Biden has said he wants someone who has the experience. Like when Obama chose him, he said to Biden, like, you know, you can do it on day one. Something were to happen to me. And Biden said that he has respected that. He loves that. And he wants someone who can do the job on day one, which would seem to eliminate people who aren't typical politicians. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Because, you know, overall, the VP should add to the ticket. Right. And do no harm. And think Sarah Palin here, because she she was an experimental choice, but she ended up actually dragging McCain down. She created too much drama and she was an embarrassment to the McCain ticket. Right. And that's why I think you need someone who's like an experienced politician. But the VPs supporting the candidate. That's their job is the voters are going to vote for generally the top of the ticket. However, you should not give voters the opportunity to vote down a ticket because of the vice president, right? They should only be supporting the top and adding to it. So Pod Save America did a really, really good miniseries called That's the Ticket. It's on their main Pod Save America feed. It was really good. I kind of disagree. I think modern day, I think the vice president is getting more and more significant to choose. But again, I think the truth still holds that the top of the ticket will be the defining choice and the vice president is there to support and and make the top better and not provide distractions or bring it down. We won't move on to number five. This was, And the fifth and last one is COVID-19. So obviously we couldn't forget talking about this. COVID will be here for election day and Biden needs to repeat himself constantly how he's going to handle things. Again, People are not going to be tuning in to a 2 p.m. speech. And it may only get some traction on the evening news as well. Biden needs to make a really key point. I think he's been doing this, but really just hammer home how he's going to handle things on day one. It's obvious his message is being drowned out by Trump right now, and it will obviously stay like that. So he must repeat until everyone knows it on repeat. Like everyone in this country should know how what Biden is going to do um, to help tackle the coronavirus if he's president, right? It's like... Everyone should know this. It should be a general talking point. He knew to expose Trump on his coronavirus handling to swing voters and also remind voters about his vast experience in government. It'll help build his trust, enthusiasm, and expand his lead with whites and win back those weak demographics. Biden has a ton of experience here, and I think it's incumbent on him to really show that why he is why it's better to choose someone who's got such a vast political experience than someone like Donald Trump who had nothing. And we're seeing the effects of that, but I think it, I think voters don't understand. They can't translate how they feel into words sometimes other than anger. And I think Biden is it's Biden's job to make sure they know that, hey, here's what you get when you have someone who knows what the hell they're doing. I mean, you look at every poll and Trump's handling of the coronavirus is disapproved by almost 7 in 10 Americans. 70% of Americans don't approve of his handling of the coronavirus. And, you know, he's trying to do the briefings again. He's now wearing a mask, saying it's going to get worse before it gets better. So he's trying to, to change that tune. Biden needs to hammer people on the fact that it took Trump months, March, April, May, June, took Trump almost for almost five months before he wore a mask. I mean, that's, you know, that message alone should be on every swing state, uh, television, radio, uh, social media, whatever. You know, it took Trump five months to wear a mask. 140,000 Americans had to die before Trump took the coronavirus seriously. Biden will take it seriously day one. Boom. There's your ad right there, Ailes. I just made up on the spot. You just made the ad. Wow, you should work for the Lincoln Project, Josh. <laughs> Could be called the Josh Project. Hey, you never know. Don't don't tempt don't <laughs> no. me. Don't tempt me. <laughs> I'm not tempting you, Josh, but I'm encouraging you very strongly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that that's your entree. Those are the five key points you have. Demographics, your policy, your messaging, your VP pick, and your COVID nineteen. So that's the way to do it. And I hope I hope the Biden team continues and evolves and keeps you know tackling these points because if he does it, we both believe he's going to. Agreed. Um, so great entree. Life under lockdown is coming up next. Welcome to your life under lockdown section. We are still under lockdown. Quarantine is still existing. 
So this segment is still ex existing. We're going to talk about the Olympics now and next year. So the opening ceremony for the 2020 Olympics was supposed to be Friday, July 4th. That's or July 24th. That is two days ago. Uh, but now they are pushing it back to next year. However, past week, the Japan prime minister has said that if COVID is not under uh, control, if it does not improve worldwide, the games could be canceled in 2021. Uh, I don't love the U.S.'s chances of being invited if we are just going with the policy of let's let COVID just happen. So hopefully Biden is elected and we can get it under underway and we can still have the Olympics for the summer of 2021 now. So Hales, my question to you is, what is your favorite Olympic sport or your favorite memory from watching the Olympics? Ooh, this is a good, good question. I, my favorite Olympic sport... I do like the swimming. I think the swimming is fun, um, especially when I was watching Michael Phelps. Yeah. So I think I'm going to have to go with the the, the swimming. But I, <laughs> my favorite my favorite memory, I mean, I watched, I watched the Michael Phelps the first time back in like 2008, I believe. I also was watching Usain Bolt as well. I think those are probably my favorite memories from the Olympics. What about you? Oh, man. I love the Olympics. I will watch any Olympic sport um, as long as there's an American uh, competing in uh, in that sport. Uh, I will say that obviously the, the big ones, you know, swimming, basketball are both a lot of fun. Obviously, like there's gymnastics and there's, you know, track and field. Uh, but two that I've really become a fan of is volleyball. I love watching volleyball, either beach or just regular volleyball. I Love watching volleyball. The U.S. is usually pretty good at it on both sides, so I like watching that. I've also got I also got really into fencing in this past one. Ooh, uh, I, I, found, I found it fascinating just the costumes they wear. It's not, it's not costumes; it's the equipment yeah. they wear, and you know, like by the, I think by 2016, I had a pretty good idea of like who the good fencers were. And there was a U.S. woman who made it really far. She maybe won a medal. Um, was I think the first Muslim American to win in fencing. So I also really enjoy fencing. I just love the Olympics in general, and I really hope we get our shit together and that we can have the 2021 Olympics, because not having the Olympics right now is very sad for me. Well, do you think that, do you think that, that warning from Shinzo Abe was, uh, was like directed at the United States being like, hey, can you, uh, can you fix us, please? <laughs> I mean, maybe. It also might have been at countries like Brazil and India, who send a lot of people to the Summer Olympics. I think it was just kind of like to the world, like, hey, let's just get our, let's just get, let's get it together. Uh, because if we all want to have, because I think Japan's done a pretty good job with controlling the coronavirus, but obviously you can't let in millions of people. I mean, the Olympics yeah. is literally the worst way to, <laughs> to celebrate the coronavirus being over. So we need to have a vaccine. We need to have, see all the countries have a downward training to be able to spread the vaccine to everywhere in the world. We have a lot of work to do before we have the Olympics in 2021. Yeah, and Josh, what was what's been your favorite memory from an Olympics? So my favorite memory is two. It's either when Phelps broke the gold medal uh, record um, when he won however many golds, whenever he hit that last gold to win to hold hold the record. Also in 2012, um, the year before that, in so 2008, the U.S. basketball team um, finished in third and got the bronze, and in 2012. You had the LeBron and the Kobe, and you had the Redeem team, is what it was called in 2012. And watching them tear through London was also a very enjoyable experience. So those are probably my two favorite Olympic memories. Yeah, you always think that the U.S. basketball team gets gold because we have like all the... But there are a lot of countries that, that love basketball too, not just the U.S. Yeah, <laughs> there sure are. So... Hopefully, we brought you guys down memory road with the life under lockdown, the Olympics. Hopefully, we'll have more Olympics come 2021. Uh, but your dessert is coming up next. You made it to your dessert today, and we have a very, very optimistic dessert. So, political forecasters, top political forecasters in this country, made rating changes, and almost all of them benefit Democrats. Hooray! So for Biden, <laughs> for Biden, this is where you want to be. 100 days out, you want to be the candidate that has an expansive lead, four to eight points ahead of Hillary Clinton at this point in, in 2016. 
and we're going to go through the two forecasters that have made a bunch of changes and what they mean and what they were. So the first one is the Cook Political Report. So Josh and I are super excited about this one because Cook is conservative in that they don't like taking risky bets. They really wait until they have the data to make sure they're right. They're not political or they're not liberal slash conservative in the ideological sense. They're nonpartisan. But they really wait a long time until something is really kind of sure in their minds. So they have, they recently moved 20 house races towards Dems. And some of them because of the money advantage they have, like the Democrats are really outraising their Republican counterparts in a lot of these races. And recent, uh, recent polling from, you know, the Biden-Trump race, which shows that if Joe Biden is going to go ahead by 10 or 8 points, and the generic ballot where they say, who do you support for Congress, a Democrat or Republican, is up by 8 or 10, that's likely a good indication that the House races are going to, you know, you should probably move them towards Democrats. So this saves some new freshmen who were in a little bit of a tight battle. It moves some solid GOP seats to most likely GOP, but we can't be sure anymore because of the money advantages and stuff. And they make seats that they thought leaned in the GOP direction, that they were likely going to do it. You know, they were feeling towards the Republicans, and now it's a toss-up. So if Dems can expand, their, can expand their House majority, that is great. And they've done the same thing. They've predicted that Dems will take the Senate for many of the same reasons as I just outlined, and we'll link all of these articles in the show notes. And lastly, they said Florida is now lean Biden. That is huge, coming from the Cook Political Report. Trump can almost not win without Florida. And if Biden is winning Florida, that also means he's likely won, quote, easier states like Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. It also means if he's winning Florida by that margin, that Arizona, North Carolina, and Ohio might be in play as well. Josh, what do you think about Cook? Well, listeners of this podcast will long know that you and I have been big fans of the Cook Political Report and Dave Walkman. They know what, what they're doing. And I know that there are conservatives who are even like, oh yeah, Cook a Political. You know, they, they are not political. They, you know, they, they're not part of the of the mainstream media, if you will, as much as, as other places are. So the fact Cook uh, made this change is huge. And I think the, the biggest one is probably the Florida moving over to being a lean Biden. If uh, if Trump won every swing state, with the exception of Florida and Pennsylvania, Trump still loses. I mean, if he won, if Trump won, when Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, Arizona, North Carolina, Georgia, Iowa, all those, but he loses Pennsylvania and loses Florida, he still loses. And so Florida is so important for Trump. Uh, the fact that they have it towards lean Biden is is just so good for the Biden campaign. And it's a really significant indication of where the race is at this moment. It does not mean it will stay that way. There are 100 days, but it's where the race is right now. Yeah, I mean, Florida, what, has like 29 electoral votes? See, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's, it's huge. This is, this is really big. And I want to underscore what Josh just said, because I think it's, a point that all of us, even even both of us, are going to be missing. Like the polls will tighten up; they will it will get closer, and Cook may lean may put Florida back into toss up, and that's okay. But right now, the fact that Florida is lean Biden, I mean, Florida is the one that decides like every election, right? <laughs> it went and Obama. It never during 2016, 2012, it was never lean Obama or lean Hillary. No. It was always a toss up to the very end. So this is like this is really good that the race has shifted so far. So far towards Biden, because if even if it shifts back a little bit, he'll still be ahead. So that's still a really good thing. Yep. So and the next one and the, the last one is Larry Sabato's crystal ball. It's run out of the University of Virginia. In my opinion, Sabato's uh, crystal ball likes to take a little bit more risk in predictions. They don't they like to wait until the data is there, but also they don't wait as long as the Cook Political Report usually does. But, you know, they, they still want the data. They don't just make predictions without any sort of data behind it. And they made a bunch of House rating changes towards Democrats because of the fundraising advantage on the and the generic ballot polling. And they started, they did their first set of predictions on July 2nd, so the, almost a full month before Cook. 
and they just included more on the 23rd, which I'll link both of the articles there too. And they were, they were one of the first, I believe, to move Michigan to lean Biden back in June. You know, that narrows the map, and, and they added Texas, instead of being, you know, likely or solid Republican, to lean Republican. They also did this for Ohio as well. The GOP cannot win the presidency without Texas. I mean, I don't think we're going to win Texas, but, like, losing Texas for the Republicans is like if the Democrats lost California. Like, it's, it's game over. Like, there's, there's no way they can win that. <laughs> so if we win Texas, that means we've won. No, no doubt about that. And if we are competitive in Texas and Texas cannot be called right away, that's a terrible sign for Republicans. I have flashback horrible horror memories of Virginia uh, not being called right away. So, Oh, that was the worst. The worst. 2016. Well, that is your uh, dessert. And your pre-dinner shot answer is coming up next. We have the answer to your pre-dinner shot. So Hills came up with, with this question. It's a great one. And as a reminder, the question is, based on recent polling, which two groups of voters have currently the biggest swing from Trump in 2016 to Biden in 2020? Okay, there are two groups. The first one is college white voters, more so the ones that are in the suburbs. Polling everywhere has Biden even or almost tied, or he's up. In 2016, uh, Trump had a double-digit margin in some of these states. So those college white voters, especially in the suburbs, they are shifting heavily towards Biden. And the second one is voters who are age 65 or older. Uh, This is especially prominent in Florida where Biden is up single to double digits in, in polling, which is a huge reversal for Trump in 2016, and really just for the Republican Party uh, in, in total. Uh, we will put in, in, the, in the show notes uh, a Cook article that uh, goes into more depth about this. Uh, but the fact that Biden is winning white college voters in the suburbs and voters ages 65 and older tells you where the uh, race currently is. Those are the two key demographics which are contributing to the really big polling advantages Biden is seeing right now. It's thanks to them. We said at least two to three times already, it's also covering up his weaknesses, which the Biden campaign should see before it gets too late. But that's our, that's our episode today. Before you go, we have a couple of important messages for you. The intro and the outro music is by Brett Hillsberg, and the transition music is by Joseph McDade. If you enjoy this this podcast and this episode, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast app. Tell your friends and family to listen if you can, and share this episode on social media and tell others to listen. That'll be great, and more people can listen, and we can all have fun together. If you have any questions, you can always email us at threecoursepolitics at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Thank you.